Three times a week, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, there's a robust community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. That's The Right Time with Bomani Jones on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and on ESPN's YouTube channel. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. I'm CJ McCollum, and my dilemma is that after games, I do not have more than one late night spot to eat at that isn't overly crowded. Okay, so I'll admit this. The commission is not qualified to fix this dilemma. I've only been to New Orleans once. It was for like a day and a half. It was awesome. I went to Port of Call. I had one beverage and I was knocked on my ass. Despite eating like a hamburger and a giant baked potato and all the things people told me to get there, my one hurricane, I think it was, I was just just wandering around New Orleans like a drunk. A lot of fun. I had a great meal the next night. Uh, In fact, I still make the sort of spicy cauliflower dish from that restaurant uh, to this day. Uh, But that's it. I can't give you any tips on not crowded late night spots. I recommend you ask my girl Swin Cash. I can almost guarantee she's got it all figured out. Um, I did find a couple places that sounded less like the usual pizza, burger, and fries, a little bit healthier, so maybe not as crowded. Uh, Hoshan on St. Charles, all sorts of Asian food. Cleo's Mediterranean on Canal looked pretty good. And then there's a place called Cooter Browns on Carrollton. And I feel like if, if there's a place called Cooter Browns, you have to go there. I can't promise it won't be crowded because... To be honest, I think a place called Cooter Browns should be crowded. Uh, But I'd like you to go, and I'd like you to report back to all of us about Cooter Browns. Thank you. That's what she said. Hey, everybody. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Excited for today's show. It's with an athlete that I have um, admired and found to be super interesting, super inspiring. And he's actually got a great message to pair with the updates from the Do Crew that we're going to have in today's episode because uh, he speaks to a lot of issues of confidence, goal setting, accountability, self-talk, all sort of top of mind stuff for people who are looking to make lasting habit changes, looking to achieve some new goals. Uh, so stick around after the interview for an update on some of my Do Crew folks who are already doing big things like losing 24 pounds since the Super Bowl for one of them. Yeah awesome. Uh, But first, an awesome guest. CJ McCollum is an NBA player. He spent nine seasons with the Portland Trailblazers before being traded to the New Orleans Pelicans in February. Trade was a big one. It was sort of an end of an era in Portland because McCollum and his teammate Damian Lillard had been just a force in the backcourt since 2013. The Blazers had made the playoffs every season since they drafted CJ. Uh, He left as the fifth highest scorer in Portland history, second in three-pointers, eighth in assists, Um, In addition to basketball and everything he's going to do with the Pelicans, he's also the host of a weekly podcast, Pull Up, with CJ McCollum, an occasional freelance writer, uh, works with the Boys and Girls Club in Portland. He's an advocate for youth issues and aspiring journalists, um, and he has his own wine label, McCollum Heritage 91. We get into all of that. We get into how he talked his success into existence and what it's like to get traded midseason. Enjoy. That's what she said. 
so grateful to have this guest. Been wanting to have him on for a while. I've had him on radio, and I think we did some stuff around the last dance, but really getting to dive in to all the stuff that came pre-NBA and and then a a lengthy career in the association. And coming off a back-to-back, including the night before we are recording this, a 23-point rally to come back against the Lakers and beat him. So you got your Pels in ninth place in the West, half-game lead on the Lakers, one-and-a-half game lead on the Spurs. Regular season's kind of coming to a close. So that was a huge win, and I, I really appreciate you giving me some of your free time um, mid-season, especially with a new baby, which we're going to get into that as well. Um, but thanks for coming on. I want to go all the way back. Um uh, to you growing up, I was listening to you on um, on the Knuckleheads podcast talking about five foot two your freshman year in high school, but that was already by then. A, you know, you were you were a, a guy with big dreams, and you and your brother had put together a plan. So tell me about. Sounds very King Richard Williams sisters. <laughs> tell me about this plan. So the plan was basically to work as hard as as possible, honestly, so that our parents wouldn't have to pay for school. But later on, we found out that our parents weren't going to be able to pay for school anyway <laughs> uh, because they told us that we need to get a scholarship or get really good grades um, because they weren't taking loans out in their names. But the plan was to just work, and we did that. We worked on our game, starting with the fundamentals, handle, you know, being able to dribble, being able to create shots off the dribble, the form, um, obviously being able to shoot. And then just really specializing in scoring, understanding that there was a, a huge value uh, in scoring, there's a huge need for it, and the creativity that you can have, you know, with the ball would allow you to, you know, go to school for free and eventually make money. And that was our goal: take advantage of basketball, use the game, and allow that to create, you know, different experiences in your life for yourself and your family. And, and that's what we did and are doing. Yeah, I mean, six a.m. wake up starting at the age of ten is aggressive. I mean, that that's a lot, especially again, like I said, you're five, two as a freshman in high school. It's not like you were a six foot four eighth grader who everybody was telling you've got something kid, like you're going to make it like this had to be something that you willed to existence with all that hard work. What was it about? I, cause your brother plays professionally out, out in Europe. What was it about the two of you that made you think if it wasn't natural physical gifts that you could put in the work to get there? I think it was us just falling in love with it. And I just want to preface that with, I didn't get up at 6 a.m. every day at 10, okay. at 10 years old. You know, we watched cartoons. We did a lot of things that kids do. We just worked extremely hard and uh, really focused on, you know, the development process because we knew that that would kind of pay off. I didn't know it at the time. My brother knew. So I, he was a forward thinker. He was the guy that had seen this lifestyle before we were able to live it. He envisioned this, you know, for the both of us. And I think the big thing was that we have reminders every day of what, success looks like, right? Uh, growing up in Ohio, Canton, Ohio, specifically, Eric Snow played in the NBA, right? So we were able to go to Eric Snow's camp and we used to think like, wow, like he grew up, you know, the same way we did, you know what I mean? These same neighborhoods. His grandma lived by my grandma. So I see him all the time. I see, you know, the neighborhood he grew up in, the high school, the middle school, the college he ended up going to. That was the first thing. Um, Keith McLeod, right? from the same streets that we grew up on, from Canton, Ohio. You know what I mean? He went to Bowling Green, didn't go to a big school. Antonio Daniels, right? Not not from the same, you know, specific area as me, but from Ohio, right? He went to another Ohio school, took him to the, you know, to the NCAA tournament, had a long career. So I had all these examples of, you know, what success looked like. And these examples weren't big guys. You know what I mean? They weren't 6'8", they weren't 6'9". You know, East Snow was shorter. Antonio Daniels was shorter. Keith was shorter. And then I got to play against him and kind of see like where I was at and then 
think to myself like, okay, I'm not there yet, but if I can get stronger, if I can get bigger, if I can kind of do these things maybe better than they did at this age, do these things maybe better than they did at the collegiate stage, then maybe I give myself a chance. And I think that's what kind of inspired us and pushed us. It was seeing other people who, who came from situations like us bring success to their families, bring success to their neighborhood, to their last name. And then obviously the, the hard part was, you know, seeing our mom struggle, right? Seeing our mom work, seeing our dad, you know, working a steel mill, not having a chance to go to college. I thought to myself, you know, I'll have a, an opportunity that they didn't have and I can't mm. blow it. I have to take full advantage of it. Yeah. You mentioned Canton and to most of us, when we hear Canton, Ohio, we think of, you know, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Is there any part of that that might have influenced you being so close to this place where the very greats of all time are enshrined? Absolutely. I was very close to greatness. Um, I actually played football. They put the football in your crib when you're born in Ohio. <laughs> I bet. They tried to get you to play. I played. It's because the Browns and, are always looking. <laughs> They're like, this yeah. could be our quarterback. <laughs> We're always looking for a quarterback. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, that's very true. <laughs> but I played and eventually transitioned into basketball. But going to, I've been to a lot of enshrinements where I see the speeches, and the speeches are what really touch me. Like, I still watch them every year. I try to get in town for it. And if I'm not there live, you know, my family goes and I watch on TV. And the storytelling behind that is a lot of times there's doubt, right? There's the doubt that creeps in. And if you hold on to the doubt, then you, you eventually don't become successful. And I think in this world, you can speak a lot of things into existence, but you obviously have to work for them. But it starts with not, not being afraid, not having fear, and not allowing setbacks or people to kind of deter you on your path because it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be ups and downs, ebbs and flows, good days, bad days. There's days where I question whether or not I wanted to do it. There's, there's days where I question whether or not I could do it, which is two different things, right? And the fact that I kept pushing through and I've seen a lot of success stories, a lot of failures. A lot of people told me I was crazy. I'd never make it. <laughs> told my mom she was crazy for spending all that money on us to travel and all that money on those expensive shoes. And why are you doing this? They're never, they're never going to make it. It's impossible. Look how small they are. People telling me that I only play varsity because of my brother. Like I heard it all. Why are you going to Lehigh? No one's ever gone pro from there before. You're not going to go pro. Then when you go pro, it's like, you're not going to make it long. <laughs> you can't do this. You can't do that. Everybody tells you what you can't do in this world. And I'm, I'm here as, as living proof that you can be whatever you want to be. You just have to work hard and get a little lucky. You've had a lot of practice with those inspiring statements because you used to record them for yourself, right? And you'd listen <laughs> to yourself giving you these, like, I'm, I'm thinking SNL, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. It wasn't quite like that, but it was like you had these affirmations that you would record and listen to as part of your just daily routine, right? All right. I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. I just felt like I needed extra encouragement. And it's kind of like the late Greg Kobe would say, may he rest in peace. Like, it was a challenge to myself. Right. Like, I wasn't doing this for a while, I was doing it to prove people wrong. Absolutely. Like, it was like, all right, they said I wasn't, and I'm going to show them I am. But after a while, that, that doesn't work, right? And I needed to hear myself telling myself these things, right? You said you're going to do this, CJ. Now it's 6 o'clock. Are you going to get up or are you not going to get up? <laughs> and the, the goals that I had put in place for myself, like, I'm saying them out loud on my on my alarm clock. So if, if I want to achieve these goals, I know I have to get up. I know I have to do these things. And then the accountability stands from the work, but then the belief, the belief was always there. Even before I worked, I believed in me. Like I had this unwavering belief that I was going to be something no one had ever seen before. I don't know why, but I had it. Mm. And as time went on, I worked so hard, I started to really believe like, there's no way th these kids are working like me. 
There's no way they're this confident. There's no way they can go miss the game winning shot and go home like nothing happened. Like they, mm-hmm. they're not built like me. And that's what I kind of told myself. And then I lived it, right? I hit shots. I missed shots. I moved the same way. I treated people the same way. And I was always authentic to myself, but I believed in and who I believed in. And I think having that, that faith really kind of pushed me through. Even when I wanted to quit a couple of times, my mom had more faith in me than I did in myself, right? My brother had more faith in me than I did myself. And they seen something in me that I didn't even see. So I, I credit them because you can't do this alone, right? Like there's some people that are going to believe in you and you got to hold on to them and allow them to help, you know, kind of encourage you and push you on days where you just don't have it. Yeah, I completely agree. And there is, especially when you're growing up, there's an incredible power to having anybody say they see something in you because it's it's easy to not have that confidence or to not be sure where you fit in. And to have a teacher or a parent or somebody that tells you they see something special can can make a ton of difference. And like I pointed out, you know, you're five two when you're starting out playing um, freshman year in high school, you get this growth spurt of five inches by your second year, then another four. Um, you're signing a letter of intent to go to Lehigh at 5'11", but by the time you get there, you're 6'3". So not only are they pretty pumped that they got maybe a different player than even what the, they thought, but you also had a bit of a chip on your shoulder that you were ending up um, Patriot League, Lehigh, a, a place like you mentioned, no one had ever gone to the league from. Um, and there, there were other schools that you thought should have been recruiting. You should have been paying attention. When you got to Lehigh and you started off playing, you know, a couple first first year, second year, you're doing great things. Was there an a thought of transferring, or if the transfer portal had been what it is now, do you think you would have gone somewhere else midway through? It's hard to say, you know, what I would do in a different situation. You know, I always say it's hard to put yourself in, in someone else's shoes because you don't know what they're going through. But I was close to transferring, you know, after my first couple of games of coming off the bench, just basically because I felt like I was a starter. I felt like I should be starting. If I'm going to come off the bench, I can go do that in the Big Ten or the ACC. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That was like my mentality, my mindset, my thought process. But I also didn't want to sit out for a year. So I would have finished that season because I don't believe in in leaving things, you know, unfinished. Like I would have finished my freshman year. And if I knew that I could have an opportunity to go play at a bigger school and potentially start the next season, I may have considered it. But I'm glad I didn't because the things I was able to learn – at Lehigh, not only in the classroom, obviously, but but off the court, more so about myself. From a leadership standpoint, my appreciation levels are different because of the treatment, because of the the resources, what's at your dis- disposal. Um, I just feel like a lot of mid- major players are, this isn't true for, for every NBA player because I can't speak for the masses, but a lot of mid-major players are, are just more appreciative of things because mm-hmm. of their circumstances, right? The path to get there is, is usually generally harder. And I'm not talking about life circumstances. I'm talking about how well you have to play at a small school to make it. The the facilities, the treatment, the accessories that you get, the gear, the travel, everything is different from a major standpoint. So when you get to the NBA, you're like, wow, like, this is <laughs> crazy. Like, And the guys generally have already been experiencing a lifestyle similar to that, minus the money, most of the time, minus right, the money, right? right? right. Um, now they got the NIL and whatever, but... I'm glad I had that path. I'm glad I didn't start right away because all those things kind of kept me angry, kept me hungry, kept me motivated, kept me humble, right? Like you need to be humble, confident and cocky, but humble at the same time. It's a hard balance, but you have to find that in order to be successful. And I think I found all those things at Lehigh to where when I got to the league, I had played every role. I had already come off the bench. I had been a star. I had been unknown. I had been under-recruited. 
And now it was like, you start all over, right? You got to carry laundry. You got to do all the rookie duties, <laughs> kind of find a role. And now as a guy who's, you know, nine years in, going to be 10 after this season, eight straight years in the playoffs, I have an appreciation of every role, what goes into it. Everyone that works within the organization, I have a better appreciation because I had to carry laundry, right? Like, so I appreciate, you know, the equipment manager and what he has to do because I literally did a similar role, not to that scale in college. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it also sounds like a lot of balance in terms of the the different things that you did, but also when you're somewhere like Lehigh, like you're going to be a standout athlete and a star, you're going to get different treatment, but not like other places. You're probably going to be allowed to pursue a little bit more in terms of education and the things you're interested in, because the expectation of being a student athlete is a little bit different than at some of the places where they actually dissuade their best athletes from like taking labs because it'll conflict with practice or pursuing certain things. And that allowed you, I think, you know, from what I've, I've read and heard, you, you had intentions of leaving early. And then once you got to Lehigh, you were like, wait a minute, college is awesome. And I want to graduate. And I want to, you know, you were, I think, writing for the school paper at one point as you were pursuing journalism. So you got to do probably a lot more things than the average high level uh, men's basketball player. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't a big fan of school, you know, going into college, just to be honest. Um, I did the bare minimum. I did what I needed to do to get through. I did what I needed to do to get a 3.4, 3.5 GPA. And I used academics the same way I used basketball. It was, you know, to pay for school. It was to challenge myself a little bit, you know, do what the teacher told me to do. And I was prepared to leave until I got to about my junior year. And I realized, like, this is kind of fun, like <laughs> no responsibilities, I understand how to study now. Like you kind of learn like some of the professors, the syllabus. I'm actually reading the syllabus now and going to the library. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like, I don't know if I want to be an adult yet. Like the money <laughs> is great, but the responsibility that comes with that is just completely different. And Lehigh kind of taught me, you know, the importance of time management, how to balance things, because that curriculum was crazy. Like I don't, looking back, I don't know how I did it. Um, honestly, like I couldn't go back to school and succeed the same the same way having this freedom. Like the 6 a.m. workout, 7.55 class, like on the hour, study for the exam, go back to the gym and shoot. Like the balance of, you know, 18 credit hours. I was taking 18 credit hours a couple semesters so I could finish school early. And then being a full-time student, you know, flying economy, taking seven-hour bus rides. Like it's a different type of grind um, that they put us through. And I'm glad I did it because it prepared me for the, you know, the grown-up world, which is a hard world to live in. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. My sister is a Lehigh grad. She um she put together a speed round. Uh, she wants to know your favorite thing at Wawa. Ah, oh, Wawa, the strawberry um 
think they still got the strawberry banana smoothie for sure. And then I used to get an Italian and uh, some flaming hot Cheetos or some cheddar and sour cream chips. <laughs> nice. Uh, what's your favorite sandwich at Goose and Gander? Oh man, she knows about the. She, she's a special <laughs> person. I forgot she went to Lehigh. Yeah. Um, the shot. I get the shot. I get. Um, there's two more. I actually just had them when I went. To, when I was on campus. I ordered two of them. It's like uh, a gombo. It's like ham, turkey, bacon, lettuce, onion. Sometimes I add banana peppers. You know what I'm saying? Okay, oil, love banana peppers. Yep. Oil, vinegar, mm-hmm. and then cheddar and sour cream chips or some Lay's uh, salt and vinegar. Okay, she said UC or Rathbone. Rathbone is legendary, but UC had better diversity um, in terms of food options. So. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about the diversity. Um, predominantly, Not much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went, we competed against each other every once in a while. Thankfully, my sister and I did not do any of the same events in track because we would have murdered each other. But uh, for things like Penn Relays or some other smaller meets, uh, sometimes Cornell and Lehigh would be in the same spot. Um, and so, and I went to campus once or twice. Um it, it's not a lot of diversity. Was that something that you cared about when you were looking at schools or was it something that you um, had to learn to adjust to when you got there? I mean, a perfect world, I'd been able to pick, you know, wherever I wanted to go. And, and the, I wasn't recruited by HBCUs. I wasn't, you know, really highly recruited at all. And I didn't have options um, to really kind of sort through and do, hey, like, what do I think about this? What do I think about that? It was more so, it was more so where can I get a great education? Where can I go to school for free? Where am I going to have an opportunity to play basketball? And they checked all three of those boxes. And when I got there, obviously it was it was a change in you know how I grew up in Canton, Ohio. But I think sometimes being put in uncomfortable situations brings out the best in you, but also exposes you to a different world that you didn't know existed. Like I didn't know what lacrosse was. Like yeah. I had never seen lacrosse, field hockey, never seen it before. I didn't know what it was. Was confused why they as to why they use the other side of the stick. <laughs> right. Um, there's a lot of things that I just wasn't aware of, and it exposed me to it. I was able to obviously gain friendships that I'll have forever. I was able to make those connections to, to people who are now you know friends that work on Wall Street. But the the challenge in the academic workload was something that you know. I wasn't necessarily prepared for, but I'm glad I was able to experience. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad I went to Lehigh. Yeah. Diversity is diversity or not. Like it was a great decision, probably the best decision I ever made. I met my wife, I have a baby now. Mm. Obviously, was able to go to the NBA. I made friends that I have forever. That actually just came to a game two nights ago. Drove up from Houston. Mackie, the the point guard on the team where we, we beat Duke, came up. I got tons of one of my friends, my roommate. Gabe, he was in my wedding. Holden, I still talk to to this day. BJ Bailey, I went to his wedding. Um, like I'm friends with so many people because of Lehigh. I still speak to the staff, the coaches. Um, it's just a, it's just a small knit group of, of of people who you know mean a lot to me. That's awesome. You mentioned uh, the win over Duke. I think my sister still has a shirt that says Duke was my safety school. I think those were going around Lehigh back in the time. You got your number three retired by Lehigh, I'm sure in part because of your junior season. Lehigh beats Duke. First ever victory at the uh, at the Division One NCAA tourney. You had 30 points. How often do you still get asked about that glorious moment uh, for Lehigh? Around March every year, yeah. April, March, um, April, February, March, people ask me about it all the time. Um, people that hate Duke ask me about it all the time. All the North Carolina alums, anyone that's like pro North Carolina, <laughs> they tell me right away that they went to North Carolina, that they love me. And then you got the other ones that went to Duke. And obviously, 
not the same Trajan, obviously, you know, works for the uh, Pelicans organization in the yeah. office, long time player, legendary guy. Uh, unfortunately, is a Duke grad. JJ Redick, unfortunately, is a Duke grad. And the list goes on and on from past and present teammates to people that work within the uh, different organizations and companies. I speak to people at Goldman Sachs, and you know, they got Duke grads. They also got Lehigh grads. They also got North Carolina grads. So um, it's funny to see how much that victory means to not just my career, but other people and how I'm perceived by it now. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? Smooth. I say that in like every text message. Smooth. You know, I I didn't think about it until I looked this up, how many different meanings and uses there are for this word. Um, Having a continuous, even surface, being without hair, causing no resistance to sliding, free from difficulties or impediments, even an uninterrupted in flow or flight. I could go on. Uh, Serene, as in a disposition. Not sharp or harsh, as in an alcoholic beverage. Free from lumps, as in clothing. Excessively and artfully suave, as in smooth operator. Uh, It first started as an adjective before the 12th century, and it came from Middle English and Old English. And then in 1890s, the slang meaning sort of superior or classy or clever, smooth, came around. 1922, the sense of being stylish, that person is smooth, uh, it came around. Smooth, it's a good one. So many meanings. Also, I need to start calling people smooth operators more. It's just, it's just a fun phrase. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week is ribaldry. Ribaldry. So I cracked a joke on Twitter during the Oscars, um, and I used the phrase work blue. And someone asked what it meant. Kind of took us down the path of bodiness, indelicacies, blue comedy, and ribaldry. My uh, intrepid producer, Dan Stanzik, caught sight of that Twitter exchange, and he suggested it might be a perfect word of the week. And you know what? He was right. It is a great word. Ribaldry or ribaldry uh, from the 14th century, meaning debauchery, body speech, obscenity or coarseness of language. It's from the old French uh, stemming from an obsolete noun ribald, a rogue, a ruffian, a rascal, a scoundrel, a filthy fellow. Uh, I have been familiar with the word a ribaldry for a long time, and I've been saying it a ribaldry for as long because of a recurring sketch on what else? My favorite SNL when I was growing up uh, with John Lovitz. Tales of ribaldry with your host Evelyn Quince tonight: a wench, a wife, and the traveling boot black. Hello. And welcome to Tales of Ribaldry. I'm your host, Evelyn Quince. Tonight's tale is the ribbed adventure of a lusty bootblack. Oh, the dreary life of a bootblack. Trudging from village to village, manor to manor, polishing the boots of the gentry. So boring, so lonely. Don't you believe it? Not when two voluptuous ladies are coming to call. I actually think the only Lovitz bit that I quoted more than ribaldry uh, was his pathological liar one. Where, yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah. Um, and then his master thespian who always yelled acting in the middle of the scene. Um, Lovitz was a fave back in the day. Anyway, in a sentence, 
My penchant for ribaldry is rooted in a delight in the subversive and satirical, not the controversial. If you could please remind my bosses of that, I would appreciate it. So I can continue to work blue. Now let's get back to the interview. You end up defying the odds. First player to ever enter the NBA out of Lehigh. Number 10 pick in the draft by the Blazers. Um, and it took you a little bit in the league. And you mentioned that when you got there, you were used to being um, coming off the bench. But um, once you had an opportunity, a bunch of players left uh, the Trailblazers. You moved over to shooting guard and you slid in next to Dame Lillard. And once you once you found that spot, um, it it was an era. And I was very sad to see it end. Um, I don't know what it was about that team. I always like had a big affinity for you and Damon Terry Stotts. And Coach Stotts was on the podcast a couple months ago, too. Um, it just felt like a really special group. And I was reading your Players' Tribune article about um, the trade and leaving Portland. And I want to hear about those early days of you and Dame going to the mall together uh, before people really recognized you, before you had brought this attention to Portland, where now if you walk around, everybody knows that, you know, those are the guys that brought the playoffs here every year. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've relived some of those moments, even now here being in New Orleans, because now I'm 30. A lot of my teammates are younger. They're going shopping and stuff. And they're like, you coming? I'm like, no, I'm tired. Like, <laughs> I, I have early dinner plans. Or I got this FaceTime scheduled at this time. I got a massage at this time. And I'm watching my TV shows at this time. It's like crazy how life kind of shifts. But those times we were just young. You know what I mean? Happy to be in the NBA. Still, I'm happy to be in the NBA. But it was a different type of excitement that you hadn't felt before right because you hadn't experienced this life obviously having money having financial freedom having the ability to kind of do whatever you want and then that free time was crazy right like you land in the city you already practice and now it's like what do i do it's like we just call each other like yo what do we do what do you want to do <laughs> like you want to go out to eat first he's like nah let's shop first so then we started shopping in almost every city where we could shop and we go even if we didn't buy anything we window shop or whatever like grab one belt or you know, something like that. I would see things like, ah, oh, I'll come back and buy that when I have enough money. Like a year later, I'd circle back and get it. And it was just funny. We moved around, no security, just walking around. Sometimes we'd be in, in blazer gear because it's just like we had to pack in real clothes. And people didn't really recognize us. Like, obviously, slowly they started to recognize Dame, like one person here or there. And then, you know, a couple of years goes by and now we're going with security. Yeah. It's <laughs> not going as much. Yeah. It's more like private dinners in the back instead of just eating at a restaurant, calling ahead, making reservations. And, and next thing you know, we got car service. You know, it's kind of evolved to where like we went from random Ubers to like, yo, I got a car scheduled for today, like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, to where like life has really changed to where like married with kids now. Like, I'm sure he's not shopping as much in the road. Well, he's not playing, so he's probably shopping <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. You get, like, it's 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 so weird how, you know, life kind of does a 360, but those were some really fun times. And we grew up a lot, even in, even with the type of stores we were shopping at to, to how we shop now is completely different. I know. I, that was one of my favorite parts. It sounded like, it sounded so much like any of us. You were like, let's go see what's up at Macy's, what's on sale. Let's grab a soft pretzel. Like you weren't going to like LV. You weren't going to Hermes. You were just walking around the mall like the rest of us um, and, and getting used to your, to your new life. Um, you ended up getting most improved player your third year. Um, and every single year that you were with the Blazers, you guys made the postseason. Um, you kept kept running into the Warriors, unfortunately. Pelicans one year, uh, which is your new squad. Um, what did it feel like to be a part of that team that had 
pretty high expectations a lot of the regular seasons and kept running into um, tough squads in the postseason. It's it's a city that is going to very much appreciate you and love you, even in the moments that don't turn out the way you'd like um, compared to some other cities and NBA teams. Um, but on the inside, that's got to still be tough. Absolutely. It was tough, man. I, I mean, we didn't accomplish the goal, right? The goal was to win a championship. We didn't accomplish it. So in a sense, in championship or bust, we failed, right? But looking at what we were able to accomplish, the winning culture that we helped build, the team the team camaraderie, the chemistry, the community aspect of what we were able to do, you know, in, in different neighborhoods, you know, boys and girls clubs, things like that. I thought it was a huge success. We all matured, you know, as, as people, as humans, as basketball players. And obviously a lot of people are happy with what we were able to accomplish, but disappointed we didn't win the championship. And I respect that and understand that the fans' perspective. But I think you also have to be realistic and look at the rosters that we had, look at, you know, the teams that we played against and the roster that they had. And obviously mm-hmm. the team that we kept losing to was arguably one of the greatest teams of all time. Obviously the Pelicans at that time weren't arguably one of the greatest teams of all time, but they had a good <laughs> roster and they beat us fair and square. But um, it was a great time. It was something I'll never forget, something I'll always cherish. Those memories will last forever. All the things that I was able to do and accomplish in Oregon, things that I will continue to still do and accomplish in Oregon, like my wine project, uh, the vineyard, all those things will continue to go on. And I'm just thankful for it and, and happy I was able to make nine and a half years of great memories with eight uh, playoff appearances. Everybody should go read the Players' Tribune piece that you wrote, Dear Portland, uh, especially just nailing the closer uh you know, maybe we didn't reach our ultimate goal. That's basketball. That's life. But damn it, if we didn't try, Jennifer, uh, which will will live on in infamy and NBA circles. And if you don't know the meme of the uh, the Twitter user, win a playoff game, then talk. I'm trying, Jennifer. Uh, just a great, great finish to that. But I also loved the beginning. And you said, um, dear Portland, you know how I know it's been real. I didn't get woge bombed. I didn't get shammed. I didn't wake up to 100 text messages from my friends and family freaking out. There was no drama. I actually knew this was coming. So talk to me about that because there was a lot of talk about splitting up the squad. You and Dame both had uh, injuries. You had a collapsed lung. He's been in and out all season. And so it did feel like there was a lot of smoke around uh, moving on in Portland from the current iteration of the team. So you felt like you were okay with it when it finally happened, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was okay with it. Uh, I'm thankful that I was able to be involved in a part of the process for the transition. It eventually became the trade. And like you, like you said, uh, I wasn't caught off guard. I wasn't surprised. I, I've seen a lot of players go through um, difficult surprises at difficult times. You're like, find out on Twitter. Find out on Twitter, <laughs> find out at the gas station. I've heard guys find out on their drive to practice. Ugh. You know, I mean, there's a lot of situations and instances in which this could have gone really, really bad. And I think the relationship that we had up to that point kind of showed the trust that, you know, both sides had. Obviously, I meant a lot to that community. The community meant a lot to me. That organization or franchise meant a lot to me. And I like to think that I meant a lot to that uh, franchise as well. And I think that we reciprocated love and that's how it should have been. It was a happy breakup. I've seen some ugly ones. I've been a part of some ugly ones in my past and it's not, it's not fun. It's, it's not necessary when you can prevent it, when you can be upfront, communication can be the way it should be. I think that makes life easier in all aspects. So I, I appreciate Joe, the organization, um, Jody for all that they were able to do, you know, for me and my family, especially, you know, while my wife was pregnant and I was going through a lot of that process um, and then eventually bringing the kid into this world, uh, I was able to spend, you know, some time with him. And then, you know, obviously as I transitioned to the Pelicans, um, just them, them allowing me to kind of stay a little bit 
uh, an extra few hours to to go to my son's, you know, one month appointment before I flew out. Like all those little things mean a lot um, to me specifically, but all, all players. And it, it goes a long way in, in the future. Um, I, I believe in karma. I believe in doing things the right way. And they treated me well. And I think down the road, they'll be rewarded for that, you know, maybe this year. Yeah. <laughs> draft. Yeah. I hope so. It's easy, easy team to root for. Um, let's talk about New Orleans uh, before we get to the to the baby, which, yeah, to be going through a trade and moving towns and all of that. Um, I assume you did not find another NBA player to switch houses with because that happened another trade. And it was perfect. Just, you know, two two players swapping houses until they figure it out. I assume that you uh, you had to find that out on your own. You had to find a spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm still in a hotel as we speak. Um, How long has it been? I couldn't tell back there. It looked a little hotel-y, uh, but I wasn't sure. I didn't want to judge, you know, any any choice. Yeah, I, got, I, got, I do have I have a couple pictures, one of me, my wife, and my son. One of me and my son. I'll show you before the, the pod ends. Yeah. But um, it's been cool. Um, I'm low maintenance. I come from... No, I'm actually I'm very high maintenance, but right now I'm being low maintenance. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm coming from humble beginnings. Like I'm staying at a very nice place. I can't complain. I don't have to pay for it. Um, shout out to the team for taking care of me. But um, it was it was definitely a transition. It was hard. Leaving my family was the hardest part. Leaving Portland is obviously you know difficult, but leaving my family was much harder. Um, the familiarity there, the comfort there. Obviously, you know, buying and having a home. My my wife, my son, my dog. I left my chef behind. My chef mm. is still with you know my wife and my son mm-hmm. um, in Oregon, so that was tough. But the food here is obviously great. But now I gotta you know be careful until she transitions here. Watch those beignets, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no no beignets until the season's over for me. <laughs> but it it was hard. Like even though I knew the trade was coming, I was prepared for. It. I knew what team I was going to and everything. Getting here, not knowing how to get to practice, not knowing where the arena is. I literally landed at midnight, played a game the next day at six p.m. Wow, and I didn't even know my way around the locker room. I was like, where do I go? Like, I had no idea where I was going, didn't know the plays. There's a lot of things that you had to get adjusted to and and become more familiar with. Obviously, I got to find a pediatrician for my son. got to find a new dentist, new doctor, new this, new that. Um, you know, eventually look into nannies. There's just so many things that go into it. My wife had a job in Oregon. You know what I mean? So there's a lot that we had to kind of work on in transition. It's obviously a part of the sport that we sign up for, but there's just a lot of moving parts when you have a family that a lot of people probably just don't understand. Um, I would equate that to working in the real world and, you know, going from one coast to the other at the blink of an eye, literally through a phone call or text and having to figure out how to uproot, you know, everything. Yeah. Your wife is a, um, a cert dental surgeon, right? She's a doctor. She's a dentist. Yeah. Dr. Dennis. Yeah. That's badass, dude. Okay. So they're still back in Oregon then. Yeah, they just left today. Um, for for good to come out here or just to visit? Um, they just came for the week. Little man's only 10 and a half weeks. He's 11 weeks this week, actually. Um, I didn't want them flying, so I got traded. He was four weeks old. Mm. I got traded. He was three weeks and five days. I left two days later. I didn't want them flying until he had all his, his shots. He hadn't, he hadn't received all his vaccines. And I wanted to make sure he got that. So we got that at the eight week mark. So they flew at the ten month at the ten week mark. My my wife still had postpartum checkups, right? You know what I mean? She still has to be with her doctor, kind of go through things and make sure everything's going okay. So it just didn't make sense to to have them come down. And I'm staying in a hotel, just a lot with a newborn. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have everything we kind of need in Oregon, I was like, just stay there. When you come visit uh, after little man is is two months, and then we'll figure it out from there. So we'll find a place here and, and kind of transition in the in the um, summer slash fall. 
Uh, but right now it's it's thug life, you know what I mean? Down here, you know, thugging it out. That's thugging right. Thugging it out and right. my wife's holding it down at home. A lot of FaceTimes with that baby, that cute little baby. I've seen all the photos on Instagram. Just delicious little nugget. Uh, Jacoby, is that it? Jacoby James McCollum, yeah. Yeah. Jacoby. Um, Man, that's that's a lot to have uh, going back and forth, or to try to try to keep up with. Your your contract is through twenty twenty four. I got two years left after this year. I think yeah. now I'm losing track. I think yeah, I yeah. got two years. Left. <laughs> I think I you'll be years. you'll plan to be there for a couple years. It'll make it worthwhile for them to come down there. Um, do you think you'll keep a place in Portland? I will keep my house for a little bit at least. I got a lot of existing businesses that I'm running and a part of that. It just makes sense. It makes the transition smoother. I got a nice yard for my dog, and summers in Portland are really nice. So yeah, um, I can get out there a few months in the summer. Well, let's talk uh, about a couple of those. You've got uh, the the winery, uh, McCollum Heritage ninety one. I remember back in the bubble, you had what like ninety bottles of wine that you brought in the bubble with you. Do do we have that situation in your hotel room right now? Honestly, I haven't really been drinking. Uh, my wife, we had some CDP uh, last night. Um, but outside of that, I got I've been getting I've been gifted white burgundy, red burgundy, a lot of different French wines. I brought a lot of different varieties, uh, Pinot, Chard, Rosé. I'm tasting through a lot of stuff for, you know, some of my next few releases that'll come out. But I've just been by myself. I've been tired. Right. I FaceTime read to my son. And then it's just like, am I really going to just sit in here and drink by myself? Yeah, like, it's not the I, same. Usually I would. In the bubble, just, it was like built in sort of social life because no one could go anywhere and do anything. So you're probably hanging out with your friends and teammates, drinking, talking about the wines, but sitting in the hotels, maybe not as fun. Right. And now we're making a playoff push. So I haven't really been drinking as much, but I'll catch up uh, when the season ends. We'll make, up, we'll make up for lost time. There the you season. go. There you go. Um, okay. So you've got the wine stuff back in Portland. Um, you've got your podcast, Pull Up with CJ McCollum. I, like I mentioned before, you were you were interested in journalism in college and you've been pursuing it, writing for some uh, some freelance articles about the NBA for stuff and then and then doing this podcast. What, what was it? I mean, I know everyone and their mom has a podcast, but why did you specifically want to do it still while you're playing as opposed to waiting like most folks do till when when their career's done i thought the opportunity was unique i had actually been pitched i think i talked about this i had been pitched a podcast you know my second or third year in the league but i didn't feel comfortable doing it because i was already known more for journalism than i was for basketball so i thought that was a problem so i kind of waited and i was like i need the to be rare occasion in the nba where someone has known more for journalism than basketball it's like basically yeah. uh i was gonna say kareem but not even kareem kareem's too good to ever be known for anything other, but he's, exactly. he's working his way into that with all the pieces he writes. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's a combination of things. The timing was right. Um, I just felt like it was the next step in my, in my maturation process, the evolution of journalism. I had done writing radio. I had, I had Sirius XM radio. I did iHeartRadio. I did local, you know, jamming 1075 playlist, Portland's number one station for hip hop and throwback. So I had been exposed to a lot of different, facets of journalism and i hadn't done a podcast yet and i thought that would be really cool to one kind of work on my skills hone my skills but also just tell unique stories about the game give unique insights bring on guests that would probably open up more to me because i played yeah and just tell, tell some really dope stories and i think we did that and are continuing to do that with the pull-up pod and i just thought that um at that stage in my career i had played well i had kind of been established i had made a lot of money and i didn't really care what people thought about me at that point it was just like whatever uh, i'm comfortable in my own skin now i can do whatever i really want and this was a part of the next step for me yeah you're also the president of the nba pa 
replacing uh, Chris Paul, that's a big responsibility. And I think especially a guy that has your background coming from a small school that was not an an immediate and automatic, you know, NBA gig, and then working your way into a full-time starter and being one of the best players in the league, like um, that, that's a lot of responsibility. And that's also a lot of faith that the rest of the league puts in you voting you into that position. Uh, Why were you interested in that? It is a lot of responsibility, and I go on record saying that it's unpaid every time. Um, <laughs> unpaid, lots of hours, lots of calls. Yep. Um, big sacrifice. But uh, I think the, the cool part is, like you said before, you're nominated by your peers, right, which really may, means something and matters because they're instilling faith and trust in you to kind of lead them and, and put them in the right direction and speak on their behalf at times uh, for their better interest. The second, the second part is it is a lot of responsibility. It is a lot of work, but – I'm comfortable in my own skin. I have a decent sense of time management. My wife signed off on the on the workload. <laughs> and I just felt like it made sense. It made sense uh, for me to do it, representing the small schools. But also, as I said before, I played every role. Obviously, you know, I, I make a lot of money and have made a lot of money. But I've been a bench player. I've been a DMP guy. I've been a guy that shows up knowing he's not going to play. I've been a starter. I've have friends at all different levels of the NBA. And I think my perspective is unique because – of my road to mm. this, to this, to this juncture. So it's a, it's a cool opportunity to be a part of this, the, the rooms I'm in, the conversation that we're having, how we're thinking about growing and expanding the game, not just on the basketball side, but also on the business side, I think is extremely important. And I would rather be me than anybody else at this stage. Yeah. You know, I'm thankful CP kind of passed the torch and I look forward to molding and mentoring whoever comes next to kind of allow them to transition as smoothly as Adam has uh, in his transition. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great point to represent the entire league, it's usually going to be a pretty well-known, really successful player. And if that player has never really understood what it is to be on the lower end of a roster or not be, not be playing every night, they're going to be more likely to represent the interests of the stars. And so you being able to know and work with all levels is, is really the key to representing the entire um, players association and not just the top level. It's really fantastic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tell me about the Pelicans. You mentioned when you got there, you had to learn a new locker room and just how to how to get get to the locker room and, and move around. How how big of a difference is it? This is just your second NBA team, despite being in the league almost a decade. So, whether it's coaches, staff, facilities, vibe, culture, what are the biggest differences? 
I think the biggest differences are, you talked about it, vibe, culture, understanding your teammates, right? Like I had a great understanding of my teammates in Oregon because I had been there so long. We, we went after certain types of players. You kind of knew what you were getting when guys were drafted. This was a unique situation in which, you know, I come in mid-season, you know, beyond the mid-season point. Team is already established. The roster is already established. The rotation is already established, how they do things. Willie's a new coach, new staff. Still learning names. I don't know everyone's name within the organization because I've only been there nine weeks and there's, you know, the whole business side, the basketball side. We've got the Saints right there. Um, so it's just a lot. But I had to kind of get to know everybody. No one knows on the Saints now either. Coaches, quarterbacks, it's all. <laughs> it's all, it's ja- all new. Jameis is coming that's back. Right, so that's right. That. You, got, that. you got one person. <laughs> yeah. So it, that was an experiment, right? Like learning the names, learning the nicknames. They all got handshakes. Uh, who likes to talk before the games? Who doesn't? Mm. Um, who's vocal in the court? Who's not? Who can shoot? Who can't? Who's comfortable on the break with the left hand? Who's not? Like, what, what what side does he like to drive? Like, I didn't know anything. Like, I had watched them play, but not to the extent of, you know, the way I would examine and, and monitor my, my my teammates. So I had to kind of relearn them. How do I How do I talk to them, right? Like, from a leadership standpoint, how vocal do I need to be? Like, when do I speak, right? Like I'm, I'm new in the locker room. So like the first impression is, is your only impression. So I was just kind of like watching and speaking when I need to, but not really saying much because I don't really know what to say to them at this point. Like I'm, I'm just getting here. I don't know right. what they need, what direction they're looking for. And they don't know me. So that was like a fill out process. It's kind of like the first few dates. Like you don't know what, like right. what type of food she likes. You don't know her vibe. Like, you don't really know much. So like, that's where I was at with things. And then the the second part is the coaching staff, right? Like I didn't know anything about them. Like I played against Willie, right? I played against Corey Brewer. I played against Bino. They're all on staff. So like, I kind (laughs) of knew them, but that was really it. So figuring out, you know, JC's on staff, Freddie's on staff, Freddie V. We got Casey. We got a lot of people. Spoon is on staff. We have all of these, these different personalities. So figuring out, um, what they want from me, right? Offensively, defensively, you know, who's going to kind of pull me to the side correctly when I'm doing things wrong, figuring out those types of personalities was also very important. But then also figuring out who I could go to, you know, for certain things. Like who do I go to to tighten up my pick and roll? Who do I go to to tighten up my thought process in the fourth quarter, last two minutes? And then obviously playing alongside BI, JV, um, D Graham, Herb, um, the list goes on and on. Jose, he just signed a new contract. We have all of these players with different personalities. Willie is super outgoing, mm-hmm. speaks Spanish all the time, randomly, <laughs> like while he speaks English, like just great personality. But like, I have to figure out like who's who and like how to read them. How do I play alongside BI? Like, when do I get him the ball? Where do I get him the ball at? Does he like to drive left or right? Which side does he like to post up on? JV likes to post up on one side. BI likes to post up on the other side. Like I had to kind of learn all of these things, learn the plays, learn how to get to the arena new time zone, all those things like kind of at once. And it was cool. It was a nice challenge. Uh, one that I'm thankful I was able to go through because you see guys get traded all the time, but it never really happens to you. Right. And you don't really care until it happens to you. Mm-hmm. Like, to be honest, like, we don't care about things as humans until they affect or impact us. And this actually affected the impact of me. And I knew about it and it still was hard. Right. So imagine when you don't know about it. Yeah. Out of the blue. Um, you get to see my girl swim cash very often. Swin is cool as a fan. Love Swin. She's the best. Uh, she's a VP of basketball ops and development over there at the Pelican. She's great. Uh, what about Zion? You have to answer a lot of questions with him finally getting back to the facility. Um, 
What's your take on that? I mean, that's got to be a lot of enthusiasm for what it's going to look like when he can get back out on the floor with you. Yeah, absolutely. And a shout out to my guy, Z, big fella, little big fella, young big fella. Young big fella. Um, big baby, but not the big baby. <laughs> right. Super explosive, really good personality. And I, have, I had had conversations with him before, like obviously playing against him and stuff. But um, being his teammate, Locker's right next to him, maybe we'll kind of dive into, you know, certain things, ask him questions about his process, what he's working on, how everything's going. And um, just being able to watch him kind of behind the scenes. He works hard. He's always he's always working out. I was like, yo, you got to be tired. <laughs> you was in here this morning when I got here. You're here this afternoon and now you're here before the game. And you can just tell his hunger. You know what I mean? Like he wants to be better. He wants to get healthy. He wants to help impact, you know, winning basketball. And it's fun to see, you know, behind the scenes. Like everybody doesn't get to see the behind the scenes mm -hmm. stuff, like what goes into um, the work. And I'm thankful to be able to, to be a part of that process and just offer guidance and mentorship when it's when it's needed. You know, I always told him, like, look, whatever you're here for, whatever you need, I'm here for you, man. Like you can vent. I can talk to you. You cannot talk to me at all. We can talk about finances. We can talk about education. We can talk about food, whatever you want. Like I, I'm not like a life savant, but I know a lot about a lot of different <laughs> things. So I can help you. And I've been where you're trying to go, especially from a recovery standpoint, having had a lot of injuries, specifically foot injuries, specifically working with probably the same doctors, actually the same doctor he's working with now. Yeah. So I had a, a really good conversation with him. I had some really great conversations with him throughout, and we'll we'll sit down and really, really chop it up once the season ends. I got some restaurants that uh, I need to take us to. Yeah. Anyway, just talk through some stuff uh, for our futures. But I'm I'm excited. You know, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the progress that he's made, and looking forward to playing alongside him. Yeah, I think you mentioned we don't. The, most people don't see behind the scenes, and I think being an athlete myself and having torn my Achilles and gone through the rehab on that, like you. You never think about that as a fan when players are gone. You kind of just wait for them to come back. And then you talk about, do they look 100% and how, how's the rehab and how's the ramping up? But all that time behind the scenes, rehabbing and working and all the effort that goes into coming back is something that I think most people don't really think too hard about. And for someone like Zion, who's already had uh, so much of that in, in, in his early career, I think um, – there's been a lot of like judgment and not a lot of empathy for that. And mainly from people who probably don't really get it because uh, they haven't been through, been through stuff like that. So um, that's great that he's going to have a resource in you who's, who's been through that and also just been in the league a long time. Um, Cause I think all of us just want to see him succeed and, and get back to uh, not just the dunks from college, but I guess from last week when he was uh, throwing it off the backboard between the legs. And I'm like, how are you not cleared to jump while shooting, but you're allowed to do that? Like somebody better have a talking to with this man. <laughs> um, all right. I've got a quick speed round for you. Uh, who's your favorite player to play against? Man, at this point, I don't even know. Like it was Kobe. May he rest in peace. Like that was the one like – you know, as a kid, you kind of look up to someone, you're watching someone emulating work ethic, yeah. approach. Um, now, to be honest, no one. Uh, who's the toughest guy to defend right now for you? Personally, like for like teams and everyone, I would say personally, Steph is probably the hardest because mm. on ball, off ball movement, Draymond screens, they're looking for him. When he gets hot, you got to cover the whole court, <laughs> like literally and the whole court. <laughs> he's most dangerous. Dribble, 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 picks it up, passes. 
more dangerous now. He's like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, I got to be looking back doors. He sets a lot of screens. So I would say him. KD is obviously a wizard, seven foot unstoppable. Um, Kai, another wizard, scores off the bounce, mid post, transition, gets to the free throw line. All those guys are really, really good, really, really talented, and have a lot to offer. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite opposing coach? Monty's X's and X's and O's are really incredible. His ability to get the most out of his players is something that you can appreciate. Um, I say Monty. Monty. Monty's been great. Uh, And finally, uh, who's someone in the league on a different team? Like if you have a night after you play them, you're always going to go grab a bite or do something after the game. I got a few. Um, Me, HB, actually ate dinner um, here when Sack came. HB is um, sorry, to, Harrison Barnes. I'm like trying to go through my head. I'm like Sacramento. Okay. Harrison Barnes. Okay. Harrison Barnes. Um, me and CP chopped it up uh, when they were here. Chris Paul, not Candace Parker. Chris Paul, not Candace Parker. Although me and Candace would chop it up too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Garrett's my teammate, so I can't say him, but <laughs> you know, he's on the, he's on the executive committee. Iguodala, um, another really just, good human being although he's so busy we probably just get dinner yeah um, in the off season yeah. you know he's he's running a lot of different companies and members of different things but now probably a lot of my old teammates yeah um dame all of those guys evan turner we used to always kick it and even when he was coaching in boston uh, we used to go stop by his house to see him and his daughter so I, I'd say that the list could keep going on, but I'll just stop there. That's awesome. That's cool to have so many. All right. Uh, we're out of time, which means you got to do the one thing everybody does and nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, your current careers are all canceled. What do you do instead? All my current careers are canceled. Yeah, you can't do wine or podcasts or basketball or PA. Stay at home dad. Perfect. Oh, I bet you'd love that right now too, because you're missing that. <laughs> missing that yeah. boy. Uh number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Uh before I propose. Because you thought she'd say no or just nerves to get just it nerves. right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just nerves. That was a good one though. <laughs> Number three, you could be the best in the world at one thing for a day. What is it? Uh, stock market trading. Easy. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV, or sports would you most like to be your best friend? Music, TV, or sports? Or politics. Really anyone. Who would you most like to be your best friend? You like see him or watch him or listen, and you're like, that person seems awesome. Politics, sports, man. I'm happy with my brother as my best friend. Oh, that's cute. It's a cop out, but I will allow it. I will allow it to, to your brother be your best I mean, friend. To be honest, like it's hard. That's hard to answer because I'm friends with a lot of like <laughs> badass people. Like, like J Cole is my favorite rapper, but like we're friends. <laughs> there you go. But, like, <laughs> I'm thinking so it's someone hard. that you like haven't gotten the chance to meet, but you're like, I bet if I met that person, they'd be really cool. Um, Diddy, Diddy seems okay. like he's got a great personality, good spirit. I mean, do I say Will Smith? Uh, yeah, you can. Just be careful. 
Careful. Keep, <laughs> keep your jokes on the right side of things if you're going to be friends with him. Um, number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? People that, you know, text and ask for things, <laughs> but try to like play like, you know, and see how you're doing first. Right, like, just get right, right to the point. Right, just ask right. for what you're going to ask for. Let's not waste each other's time here. You don't care how, about how I'm doing. <laughs> you need tickets or something? Like, what is it? Like, just get right to it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's very specific to you and a, and, and a couple of us that feel the same way. It's like, oh, it's about that time. It's almost Super Bowl week. So I should be expecting a text any minute about getting you into the parties. Uh, it's That's how it works. Um, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Um, I have done lots of things. I, when I broke my foot in college, I was crutching in the snow and I slipped mm -hmm. in front of everybody. And then the second fold, like that happened all the time. I was going up the stairs, you know, Lehigh, yeah. you know, some of the buildings are a little older, no elevators and going up the stairs and book bag is a little too heavy back just throw the throw the crutches and just no free, freedom fall you know oh tuck, no tuck your limbs in your important limbs <laughs> and just embrace the fall in front of everybody um i had the same snow on my crutches at cornell when i tore my achilles long hallway to get to my first class of the day nobody knew i had torn it or had surgery and just full flip like in a movie just completely ate shit in front of my entire class um, the other one was my fault. I went to a frat party and tried to go down the stairs and my crutches with like little packing bubbles everywhere. Cause it was like a ice age theme. So they had covered every surface with packing bubbles to look like ice, which wasn't ideal for crutches. And I insisted on having a good time anyway, which didn't end well. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Overcommitting to things. Saying yes too often. Like to podcasts and shit? <laughs> not specifically, <laughs> but I guess it could fall into that category, but not specifically. Uh, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Alive or dead. Mm -hmm. Wow. Man. I feel like the Jackson five would be like a really, really good one. That'd be a, that'd be a good party. Uh, number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? I don't, I don't <laughs> I try to answer this in a way in which I don't look like a jerk. <laughs> um, <laughs> failures are lessons, right? Mm -hmm. So like anything in which I failed isn't either made me a better person or just showed me that I shouldn't be a part of that or do whatever that was that I failed at. So I, I've, I'm thankful for my failures because help me make me a more rounded person, but while also eliminating some things that I probably suck at. I think that's uh, the answer I most often get to this question. Cause I'm always talking to successful people. And I think a lot of successful people can just pivot off of a failure and it doesn't sit in their brain like a failure. It's to your point, it sits in there like a lesson and, and they don't, they don't dwell on it the same way. I think some other people do. Um, number 10, what three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Consistent. Mm -hmm. mm. Loving. Mm -hmm. And genuine. Those are really good. I like that. Final question. Who should I have on this podcast? It can be anyone from any industry, just anyone I would find interesting. Anyone from any industry? Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield. Ooh, and that's your guy. 
That's your guy. Are you worried about where he's going to end up? Are you going to root for him wherever he goes? I wish him the best. I hope that he ends up somewhere where he can thrive. Yeah. Um, Seattle. Yeah. That would be that would be a good spot. <laughs> good. So somewhere where he got some receivers to throw to. That's right. We're, we will. Uh, uh, we will have to see on that. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, but I'm sure any minute now. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. It was awesome to chat with you. I'm sure I'll have you on. Uh, Spain and Fitz um, once we get into next football season and talk Browns and of course to talk lots of Pelican stuff as you guys make a playoff push so um, really appreciate the time no problem as long as we're not talking about Chicago I'm all in you know what you know what you're lucky you said that at the end of this don't be jellyfish I get it people from Ohio are always jealous of Chicago not the city in general I'm talking about you guys as sports just our teams Lack our team, just my bulls that you were beating up on the other night on Nestle. Bulls are actually good this year, so I won't. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. We, uh, we're 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 in a rebuilding season, and once we put the piece around my guy Justin Fields, then we'll see what's up. That's what you call it. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh yeah. One more thing. So this is a place for rants, raves, for me to tell you to read, listen, watch something. Sometimes I'll share a great story today. A check-in on the Do Crew. If you remember from a few weeks ago, I introduced you to 15 different folks that wanted to make a big change, start a new project, change a habit, get healthy, learn something, um, and trying to keep them accountable along with myself. And so we're checking in every once in a while to see how they're doing. We're making proclamations and statements on uh, what's going to come next, what our steps are, and how we're going to get where we want to go. Um, I sh- I'm not sure if if this update that I got only involving 10 of the 15 do crewers uh, is something I should read into. Maybe just a busy time for them. I did give them two weeks to answer, though. Um, this could be the inevitable moment when some realize that they couldn't really budget time or money or attention or whatever it is um, to their intended goal or habit change. Can't really fault them. It happens a lot, um, especially after the sort of high of setting a goal at the beginning of the year starts to fade a little bit. Um, but thankfully, a lot of folks have stuck with it. Uh, I'm going to create a Facebook group for us do crewers so we could join and keep each other updated and motivated and inspired, uh, hold each other accountable. Um, and yes, I am aware that Facebook is a platform is problematic. Uh, unfortunately, it is one that nearly everyone has and creating groups are super easy over there. So that's where it's going to live for now. I'll figure out maybe a better spot. Um, and I, I would recommend it if you have you know family members, friends, folks that are also embarking on habit changes or trying to learn something new or maybe just acting as a good support for you. Uh, make a group chat, a Facebook, a Marco Polo group, something that helps you stay accountable. And I've been doing that with my Grand Canyon workouts. Um, it's been three months since uh, January with only a few days missed. 79 out of 87 days over the three months I've gotten the workouts in. A few days lost to a herniated disc in my neck. A few lost to hangovers. <laughs> couple lost to uh, some fun heckler spring training uh, days, uh, but I've, I've stuck with it. I've stuck with it uh, for three months, and my hike is next week. Uh, so I'm already starting to taper the workouts later this week, and I'm feeling ready, as ready as I'm going to be. Uh, let's check in on um, some of the do crewers to see if uh, they've stuck with what their plans were, too. Let's start with Katie, uh, my A student over here setting the bar very high. Check this out. Three ACI Disky Kimri. Katie Shelley here. I want to learn Welsh. And I kept my commitment to the Dew Crew by studying an hour of Welsh every day. 
So one of Katie's tricks to sticking with it is sort of gamifying it because the Duolingo app awards different points for different parts of the day. And so she can kind of build off her competitiveness by scheduling lessons when it's double point time. Very smart. Uh, Craig also crushing it. He's trying to get healthy to get back to bowling so he can roll a perfect game. And he's already lost 24 pounds since the Super Bowl, which is incredible. Uh, Craig is keeping healthy snacks around and sticking most of the time to only drinking on the weekend. So awesome job. Kelsey killing it. She She's planning to hike all 48 4,000-foot mountains in New Hampshire by the end of July. So she's been hiking four to five miles with a full pack, uh, waiting on the snow and the ice to melt so she could check off her first mountain in the next two weeks, which is awesome. Melissa plugging away with the ukulele practices. has got some Metallica going on the uke, which I love. Um, Lucas seems to have a great perspective on plugging along with his goal of getting his writing published. Here's what he had to say. My goal is to publish a piece of creative writing somewhere this year. Uh, I have several submissions out for review right now, and while I've heard back from very few of them, it's really only been rejections up to this point. But that's okay. That's part of it. It's part of the numbers game that is, you know, creative publishing. My next step is to keep myself sharp creatively and active in my own work. So I'm currently working on a new piece of musical criticism. It's about Stevie Wonder, and I'm hoping to get it placed in May for his birthday. That's my next thing. Anyway, thanks for listening and take care. Ross, also writing, is doing a cookbook. Um, he said he's gotten a better idea of just how many recipes he's going to need, how much content he's going to want, and he's been trying a lot of new recipes, taking notes as he goes. And he's used a trick that I've mentioned here on the podcast a number of times, keeping a little weekly planner at his desk, and he's writing in what recipe he's making for dinner every night, which really helps him plan ahead for shopping and then executing and sticking with his plans. Uh, Douglas also making progress on his goals. He's uh, trying to uh, get healthier, and he's part of a virtual reality mindfulness study that he signed up for. So he said it's helped him calm down a little because um, he tends to get a little anxious, a little preoccupied while he's overwhelmed. He's also going to start adding in bike rides to work to get moving more regularly. Uh, love that. That's a really good plan. Mark also getting healthier. He's committing to a stretching routine to aid his back problems and figuring out where to schedule in his day and how to stick to that schedule so he doesn't skip it. Uh, Erica, uh, so many of you folks, and Erica is one of them, have just said the toughest part has been trying to find the time to dedicate to this new habit or this project. And so as she continues to pursue publishing a children's book, she's using a bunch of smart ways to make her writing a, a priority and stick with it. Here's Erica. Hi, this is Erica, and my first step was to create a timeline for how I'm going to reach my writing goals for the year. I've done this and put key due dates into my planner that I live by. The hardest part is finding the time to work on the steps to write my stories between work and my personal life. One trick I have done is breaking down the overall goal into multiple steps so it seems less intimidating. Plus, as I mentioned before, I've put due dates in my planner for these steps as a reminder for when I need to complete them by. And my step number two is brainstorming ideas for my romance stories and creating the outline for my children's story by March 31st. I've completed my brainstorming and have started the outline. Al, also working on the children's book project, uh, just like Erica, and he's already finished his first draft, signed up for a course on taking a story from the paper to the publisher. Um, he's gone through two weeks of that course, nine-week course, uh, doing all the reading and the exercises, and he's also joined the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators of North Carolina to get resources and ongoing support. Love it, Al. Very specific. I love that. That's great. Um, he also said he's just got to continue prioritizing his own work um, and not always having the needs of others 
uh, put in front of his own and putting it into his Outlook calendar and staying committed to the schedule has been super helpful. So definitely recommend that. Uh, Christopher also making time to create. He's doing at least two to three hours a week writing music. Now he's going to start learning to make videos so he can post his work to YouTube. Um, got all the equipment and the software he needs to create. So I love that. Um, all my other do crewers, you're not out of this. I hope to hear about your progress at the next check-in. Keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. Um, and baby steps, just those baby steps and accountability. That's what you need. Uh, you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain. If you've got guest suggestions, questions, or more, you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it, please, five stars. Give me a review. Uh, thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. That's what she said.